Life's too short for crap marketing. The Got Marketing Podcast is for marketers, business owners, and entrepreneurs who want marketing that's fun, accessible, and meaningful. Join me, Mia Feilman, for inspired chats with my favorite marketing insiders about marketing that works, campaigns that inspire, and the fads, fakery, and false profits to avoid. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Gut Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Mia Feilman. There comes a certain point in business where you can't grow until you resource, whether that's in-house resourcing or outsource resourcing. And there are a lot of tough decisions that need to be made because managing a team is the hardest thing about running a business, let me tell you. After managing a remote team in my agency, I swore off hiring a team ever again. I was like, okay, never doing this again. I'm going to just have an outsource team from now on. But then, and I'm sure this is a common tale, I hit a growth ceiling. It got to a point where I couldn't grow my business anymore until I resourced. So in today's episode, I chat with leadership mentor and employee experience strategist Kharita McMullen about leading an outsourced team and workplace culture. H is a recent campaign classroom graduate and a thought leader in the space who has received tons of media coverage. So I know she can handle some of my tough questions. Welcome to the show, H. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. I love that you pitched me on this episode and you pitched me so beautifully because you are, of course, a Hack Your Own PR grad. And I was just like, oh, they're so well trained. (laughs) Yeah. The skills you learn on that program are so transferable. Oh, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. All right, let's dive in. Many startups are struggling to keep the lights on in 2023. This is a very difficult year fiscally. I think we are really now feeling the after effects of COVID on our economy. So why is workplace culture a priority? It underpins everything. As you've mentioned, the top challenges we're seeing now is driving revenue whilst managing costs, but also trying to hire, retain and or develop the right skill set in our business. And so how your people feel will determine your ability to attract and retain the right people, but also drive performance. And one reason behind that is their level of loyalty and accountability towards your business. If that's not there, if they don't feel accountable, and that's not to say they're not held to account, if they don't feel that proactive sense of accountability, they're just not really going to care or care as much. And so when you need to make those hard decisions and communicate those, you may feel that you get more resistance rather than acceptance and even helping you deliver upon those decisions. You may find that when things get tough, instead of banding together, helping one another, having that smooth sense of communication and togetherness, you will crumble and people will start to silo and work individually because as humans, we're all in it for ourselves. And so you'll just start to feel more friction and things will start to feel harder and harder and harder. And perhaps you won't really know why, because culture is one of those fluffy terms and feelings. And it often comes down to 
a feeling that will resonate in some of those more tactical and practical elements like your revenue, your productivity, presenteeism, preenteeism, and engagement. I couldn't agree more. I feel like this is something that business owners learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. So when I ran an agency, we had three different offices, Darwin, Toowoomba and Melbourne. And we had teams in each of those offices and I have not received any leadership training whatsoever. And so I was really flying by the seat of my pants and it wasn't something that I prioritized. And I had a small-ish team. I had seven people across those three offices. So I didn't think it was important. And then exactly what you have described happened. There was one particular employee who was incredibly high-performing. So she would exceed all of her KPIs. She was quick, efficient. She was just really, really good at getting stuff done and really driving results, but she couldn't work with anybody else. Mm. And she was driving the rest of the team crazy. And as a business owner, I was really kind of torn because she's such a high-performing employee, but what value is she if she can't she can't play well with others and she can't lift others up. She can't support and help. She was just getting frustrated with the rest of the team. Mm. So these are lessons hard learned, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. And would you agree that this is important even in a small team? Like these cracks can appear even more pronounced in a team of three versus a team of 10 because you just have less people. So this idea that I'm I only have one or two employees. This is not important. Well, I only have two employees and it's still really, really important. Absolutely. You can't hide. (laughs) It is there in front of your face. And the other thing I'll say is that, yes, you may only, in inverted commas, have two or three people, but it's still, dare I say, one of the biggest costs to your business. And so does it not make commercial sense to proactively and effectively manage one of those larger costs to your business. It's 40% of my revenue, H. Yeah. 40. So, <laughs> yes, yes, it is a huge, huge part of, of my business. Okay, so that really brings us to the next topic I really want to discuss, which is like, do you build an in-house team like me or do you have an outsource team? Because with the rise of the gig economy, outsourcing roles and engaging contractors on a project basis have really increased in prevalence. And mm. many employers like me, we are looking to find a less traditional approach because that traditional model of having a commercial lease on a property mm. and then filling it with permanent and part-time employees who sit there, you know, for 40 hours or 20 hours a week, regardless of how much work you have come in. And then you have to supply them with laptops and phones and biscuits and milk and a fridge (laughs) and ergonomic desks and ergonomic chairs. And all those things is extremely expensive to a business. So entrepreneurs are innovative creatures and we have tried to find ways to approach this in a, in a different way. However, I feel like there's a lot of false economies when it comes to in-house versus outsourced. I'd love to get in that with you. 
Absolutely. And I'll give you a typical HR answer and say it really depends. And that is the great thing about business. When you are looking at whether or not to outsource or to hire in, it starts with having a really clear understanding of where you want to take your business and where the skill gaps are and then what those skill gaps will equal and enable you to do. So it starts with having uh, or building out, I should say, a really clear organizational structure. And then from there, you can also research what options are going to fit for you. So having an understanding of the financial implications of permanent part-time, permanent full-time, contracting, etc. Um, and from there, you can make an informed decision on what's going to work for you based on whether you need a role to do things for you longer term and whether or not you have that work or you've got that work pipelined or whether you need a specific set of skills for a short period of time. So it really comes down to looking at what you need. And whilst there are benefits to each, you won't know that until you really look into it. Yeah. And I would say that it's really important to do a side-by-side analysis. And I had our accountants do that. And I said, okay, I want to understand all the costs of a contractor and, you know, what is a, a fair and reasonable hourly rate And sure, I don't pay their tax or their super, but I will be paying them significantly more per hour versus a full or part-time employee, including super, including tax, including, you know, um, everything else that goes in it. And we did a side-by-side analysis and permanent part-time and full-time was substantially cheaper for my business. Mm -hmm. And then I think for anyone that's ever tried an outsourced team, in theory, it sounds really attractive because mm. you only pay for what you need and then if, you know, business is slow, then you're not paying and you can have someone who's just as invested in your business as whether they're in-house or outsourced. But the reality is actually quite different. And so, you know, I've had people say I've gone through three or four different VAs and then they leave um, or they only work on Monday and something comes up on Tuesday. And so I end up having to do it anyway because they only work on that particular day. Mm. And then there's also this expectation that when we hire someone out outsourced, that they come with a particular skill set that's ready to go. And a VA or an OBM These are not, especially in my industry, these are not degree qualified strategic marketers with five years of experience. So expecting them to be able to write an email sequence or manage your social media or write website copy at the same caliber of a marketing manager is having very, very unrealistic expectations. And so then what happens is you end up training mm-hmm. someone who's not in your organization. Those skills, you are not in-housing them, you are outsourcing them. So to cut a long story short, I made the decision that as a marketing trainer and mentor, I was very happy to train my staff, but I want to retain that knowledge within yeah. my organization. And so mm-hmm. any investment that I make in Emily and Ashley, it's stays within Campaign Del Mar, like it just helps the business as opposed to training contractors to do things the way that I want them to do. Absolutely. And you hit on so many points I was thinking about as well, because we have to think about the 
non-direct financial implications and they consequences that we don't think perhaps have a direct financial impact, like the time that you spend upskilling and training. When you look at your hourly rate, let that sink in. <laughs> and how long are, are we spending as the director and founder training and doing a job that we should be paying a fraction for? So there's that too. And there's also the question of quality. And a great example that I thought of with this is Qantas outsourcing their baggage handling and the mess that that made. I dare say they spent more trying to clean that mess up than if they were to have retained that service in-house with the cost of PR, with the cost of directing more payroll to customer service, but also I don't know if you recall, they asked their executive team to help out on the ground and actually perform some baggage handling services. And whilst that does have some benefits in terms of optics and the executives understanding what that role entails, you're essentially paying someone $100 an hour to do a job that only costs 30 So there are some of those considerations to take into count as well when you think about your your organizational design. Totally. That actually makes me think of another example. My husband's in the military and traditionally the military has had their own cooks Mm. and you know it's a whole division and they are the ones that prepare the meals in the mess. But they were like, well we can outsource this to a catering company like a big one like a Sodexo or a you know spotless catering and they are all about costs. And the food at the mess is substantially less quality than what it was Mm. when it was run by military cooks who are cooking for their brothers in arms and are like, no, we want to give them something really good. And, you know, there's like, there's a pride in Mm. that this is our core in the armed forces. This is what we do. We're the cooks, as opposed to just a catering company that's like, yeah, whatever. We just go in there, we make bulk meals. It doesn't matter what they taste like as long as they get fed. And now what we're finding is that all the soldiers are getting Uber Eats to live into place. (laughs) You know, they're just, they're not even using the mess because the quality is not there. And then there's pushback because then they don't want to pay mess fees. They're like, well, we don't want to pay for this. We'll just get pizza ordered by Domino's, which not great for their nutrition. No, no, absolutely. And you bring up the point of quality and engagement. And so when you outsource, one challenge is that sense of consistent quality, especially in the creative industry, when so much of that relies on understanding the client's brief really well, but also your style as a business, because that's really what sets you apart to your clients and your customers. So unless you engage with someone who's so onto it and so proactive, that's going to be additional management for you to manage that sense of quality longer term. Yeah. I also feel that in business, you need to back yourself. Mm. If you are completely risk averse and you're just not that kind of person that likes risk, you like security. I don't know if running a business is for you. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) not sorry. That's the reality. Like if you are in business for a long time, then at some point I feel like you need to back yourself and not be like, oh, what if? And Mm. I feel, I don't feel, I know that when you become an employer, 
your mindset changes and then you're like, well, no matter what, this has to work because I've got mouths to feed now. Absolutely. And the great thing is, is that it's not a permanent decision. You can change. If you try outsourcing and it doesn't work, you can change that. If you get an employee, a permanent employee, and that doesn't work, it's a little bit harder to change, but it is still achievable to do so. And you can then outsource. So it's not a permanent decision that you're making. Yes. And as a small business, you do have a lot more flexibility than bigger businesses. So redundancies in a big business are difficult. In a smaller business, if you are struggling, if you're not making enough revenue, if you know you are under a certain amount, of, and I am by no means an employee specialist here, <laughs> I do know that you don't have to continue to hire someone on the books if you can no longer financially afford to do so as a small business. Absolutely. And in my experience with redundancies, unfortunately, I've now done a few of them. It all comes down to A, the strength of your relationship and B, how you communicate that. Mm, absolutely. It doesn't have to be a really horrible experience. So basically just don't do what Elon Musk did with Twitter. Yes, we all know my thoughts on him. No, let's go. Let's go. Let's oh, go. my God. Do we have time? <laughs> I think he is the textbook definition of how not to lead. Mm. It's a shame in a way, don't you think, because yes. he was doing quite a lot of good for the world before he did this, you know. Absolutely. He is the reason why every car company now has pivoted to finally creating an electric car because they were like, well, if you can't beat them, you got to join them. And so now everyone's got an electric car and we're all buying electric cars. It's finally here. He's also making it, was making it accessible to have internet for everyone. It's also thinking about the fact that if this planet gets destroyed, it might be worth looking at another one. But all of that has come crashing down because of how he has treated people. And that's the thing about leadership. We all have strengths and there's no denying he has some incredible skills and thought processes and innovations, but does his strength lie in leadership? There's a question to ask. The answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> Got Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar, a marketing education platform for marketers and entrepreneurs. Learn practical, repeatable and actionable steps to market with confidence. Nail your email marketing strategy or join Campaign Classroom and learn to create memorable and effective marketing campaigns. These are not the kind of online programs where you are left floundering, unsure how to put theory into practice, nor will these programs sit unfinished for months. You can expect hands-on, tailored advice, accountability and a supportive community and you will walk away with lifelong marketing skills. Learn more at campaigndelmar.com. Okay, if you are going to go down the approach of hiring contractors, because that's what makes sense for your business right now, what are some of your top tips for effectively managing a contractor relationship? I think part of it comes down to the length of time. So I'm going to share my tips on if this is going to be a more long-term arrangement. And my advice would be to approach it like you would if they were a permanent employee. Before you even hire them, have a really good conversation around what they're going to be responsible for. 
your working styles and expectations around how you work and communicate so that you're both on the same page walking into this working relationship. Once you have hired them, a really strong onboarding process will set yourself up for success. And that doesn't have to be really fancy. It just means taking time to teach them about your business so that they know what's working, where your pain points lie, your tone of voice, your style, everything they need to know and you want them to know to set that up for success from the beginning. Because if you don't do that, that's where miscommunication comes in. Frustration assumption is huge. We assume people because they have the skills that they have that they should know how to do this, but no one is a mind reader. And so my ethos has always been to share. And if they say, I already know that, or yes, I've got it, then at least you know they've got it. Ongoing I would then suggest regular check-ins and it's as simple as that. Every week, fortnight, whatever you deem appropriate to have a dedicated space of time to connect about anything other than specific projects. And that could be talking about how your communication flow is going or maybe there's some misstepped expectations and turnaround times that you want to address. You can pick up all these little spot fires before they become full-on bushfires. And that's it. So can I be a devil's advocate here and say, I agree with that. That's exactly what I would do for an employee. But I feel that there might be some small business owners listening to this going, oh, what about my IP? What about sharing all this proprietary company information like our brand strategy and our internal processes and how we do business differently at our business, sharing that with the contractor. Absolutely, totally get that. I would assume there would be a contract in place where you could include clauses about that confidentiality, uh, which I would suggest anyway. Uh, second thought that comes to mind is looking at the cost benefit. So yes, there is that risk there, but what is that going to give you in return in the quality of output in your relationship long-term? And really think about that and how that will then bolster up that sense of trust in your relationship. So the likelihood of them ripping you off decreases. Totally. You made such a good point there, which is that you need your own contract mm. as a small business owner. Don't just rely on the contracts that the contractor has. So you have your own contractor agreements, which have a confidentiality and IP protection clause. There are some incredible legal services available specifically for female founders, um, Found mm. D Legal, Riz McDonald from Found D Legal has incredible um, contracts for all sorts of things like influencer agreements, collaboration agreements, and also employment contracts. So do not skimp on the legal cost, please. Absolutely. I've actually used her and her team for a few of my own contracts as well. And it's really important I know legal can be a tough one and it's not everyone's language, but making sure you dedicate time to understand what the contract says and not just skimming over that and plugging in the blank spots. 
Yeah. I mean, we've recently started implementing a confidentiality agreement during Campaign Classroom so that the students can feel really confident talking about their plans, Mm. their marketing campaigns, their marketing plans in a room full of other people and Mm. everyone is bound by that confidentiality agreement. I feel like that's just good business sense. It just makes everyone feel psychologically safe and ready to open. Absolutely. And you can back up that more hard piece of protection with a softer conversation around just Chatham House rules. Like, let's not be, I won't say the word, let's not be eggs here. (laughs) Let's work together respectfully and both raise together. Mm, For sure. I feel like you need to lead by example in everything in life. And I've had so many people say to me, oh, but if you don't put firm rules in place and if you don't, like, you know, people will just take advantage. I don't know. I have a Facebook group Mm. with 700 people in it. I've had to remove one person and I don't even think it was a person. I think it was a bot. The rest, they go in there, they get a feel for the group and then no one, and no one goes in there and hard sells. No one's a bully. No one is trolling. I think that we overcomplicate things and I feel like you need to set the standard and the expectations and then people will follow that. I couldn't agree more and that's my philosophy and how I approach HR and employee experiences. Let's not treat our people like we think we need to treat children. Yes. The more you put rules in place, the more people resist those because people want autonomy and they want to be trusted. And if we're putting all these hard and fast rules in place, we're telling our people right as they walk through the door that we don't trust you. Yeah, exactly right. Such a good point. Love that. Okay, so you have some pretty firm views about what employers, business owners should be responsible for when it comes to both an in-house and an outsourced team. Mm. So what are some of the things that you should be doing? Absolutely. When we look at hiring someone permanently, we take on that responsibility for providing those financial and non-financial benefits. When we hire someone on a contracting basis, the understanding is that they're not here for the long haul so that it's not worthwhile to invest in them because theoretically we're not going to get the return. Mm. So where my opinion lies is there may be certain direct financial things that just don't make sense to do, and that's fine. It is those softer, more relational human side experiences that I believe you should be doing. And a lot of that comes down to conversation and how you make that contractor feel like they're a part of your business with the end goal being to drive that sense of ownership and accountability and care level to also it flows on to the quality of work and your overall sense of enjoyment at work. If you're working with a contractor and it feels like you're pulling teeth out, then I would not necessarily define that as a success either. Yeah. You're so right. I feel like people work with contractors, they don't have a great experience, and then they just cancel the contract and say, yeah, bye, see you later. We don't need you anymore. Thank you very much. Never stopping to go, you know what, I'm actually going to have a difficult conversation with them and tell them what they're doing wrong. Give them an opportunity 
to improve it mm. and um, maybe look at keeping them because then I have to start from scratch with a new contractor. Absolutely. You make such a great point. A lot of the reason behind why we perhaps just let go is because we're too afraid and we don't have the capability or the skills to have what we perceive to be a difficult conversation, but it's really not that difficult once you know how to do it. And so that's part of being a leader is developing yourself to do some of these things. Because when you have a contractor that's with you for the longer term, the stakes are higher. And as you grow and as you perhaps add headcount and that's permanent, over time you'll get this sense of emotional inequality where perhaps you organise a company paid event and your permanent team come but your contract is uninvited or you have strategy and leadership meetings or uh, relationship building days with only really half of your business. And so that's where I would encourage business owners to have a good hard think about how can I integrate my contractors into my more permanent side of my business so that we feel like we are one team. Because if you've got the feeling of multiple individual teams, then that's when silos start to form, miscommunication, no communication and friction. Yes, I'm living that now actually, in that makeup because I have Emily and Ashley who are permanent and then I have Cassandra who is a contractor. And the reason why she's a contractor is because she she's a little bit like me. She wants to run her own business and I'm never going to force or <laughs> that someone gets a job when they want to be in business for themselves. But, you know, she comes along to our weekly whip. She got a Christmas present like the rest of the, the girls. She's involved in all the strategic planning. But I'm also very cognizant of her time because she's not a salaried employee. Mm. Her coming to additional team building, team bonding, I feel like, I have to ask her if she's she wants yes. to do that. And then if I really need her to be there, then I need to pay her extra because it's not part of her job description. But I don't want her to feel left out um, because she is an important part of our team. She's just on a different contract, I guess, than somebody else. <laughs> Absolutely. And you make a really great point about their time. And so I think the simple action of asking if she wants to be involved is huge because you're still involving her and then it's up to her whether or not she has the time and inclination to join. Yeah, exactly. Okay. What I'm hearing and what you've said before to me is that it's important to cultivate a high care factor level. Mm -hmm. What does this mean? step us through this. Essentially, it's another term for engagement or how people feel when they work for you. I've said it before in this conversation, it's whether or not people feel like they care about your business as much as you do. So what's their level of ownership and accountability? And from a financial perspective, some examples, this could look like if they're not engaged or they don't have that care level, this could look like mistakes that eat up your time, your team's time, their time. And when you look and calculate all of your hourly rates, that can end up being quite costly when you're trying to fix these mistakes, not to mention the customer experience, for example. It could look like this person being in a conversation with a customer on chat or online, and they 
miss key pieces of golden information that you would have loved to have known if you were in that conversation, but they don't care enough or don't even think to tell you. And so when they do care, that stuff becomes second nature. Of course, I'm going to tell Mia that this happened because I care. I think it's going to add to this, this, and this. They get the bigger picture rather than just focusing on all the dot points in their job description. The other example is it could look like presenteeism, where they're there, but they're not there. They're not focused. And I do want to caveat that with, I don't think we can expect everyone to be fully productive all of the time. Of course, there are going to be days and potentially weeks where people are not at their best because that is just life. But if there is a pattern of behavior over a long period of time where their productivity has decreased, then that could be a clue that they don't have that high care level, care factor level. So all of those examples directly translate back to money because you're talking about your hourly rate and how you're paying someone. Mm, Absolutely. I believe it's possible to cultivate a high care factor level without it needing to cost the earth. Absolutely. Okay, so right now, if we look at the zeitgeist, employees and contractors, especially in marketing space, have a very high bargaining power because every company is looking for marketing support in-house or or outsourced. And um, there's not enough talent to go around. So, you know, um, employee employers are desperate to find staff. And then you open up social media and you see companies who are proudly sharing that they have transitioned to a four-day work week and they buy lavish welcome gifts for their staff and they throw all these cool parties and they give you the day off for your birthday. But I am in no position to do any of that. I can't Mm. afford to do any of that. I would be broke. And so that has sort of left me feeling like, I can't compete. Mm, mm. But then it's really important to figure out what's important to your team, whether it's in-house or outsourced, and find out what really drives them. Because at the end of the day, money is actually not the biggest driver. Yes, it's important to pay people what they're worth, but I actually saw an email that you sent on Monday and the subject heading was, should we be able to swap Australia Day at work? And I loved that because this costs nothing. Mm. It is neither here nor there to me whether they work the 26th of January or whether they don't in my team because I have a fully remote team all over Australia. Like our public holidays don't align anyway. You know, I have my own Darwin public (laughs) holidays. There's one in New South Wales. Like as far as I'm concerned, work on the 26th of January. You'll have no distractions and then take your birthday off. That's nothing. But I think that that speaks to a care factor, right? Absolutely. I love this line of conversation. I often read about some really cool stuff that industries or HR teams are doing. And yes, they're cool. But A, a lot of it isn't realistic for small businesses, just as you said. And B, I have found in reality, many businesses often skip the free basics in favor of that shiny thing. Mm -hmm. And so from the outside looking in, it does seem like they've got all of this stuff going on. But if you were to open up the hood, more often than you would think, there is some stuff going on. (laughs) 
you know, not enough sprinkles can make a bad cake taste good. So (laughs) in my experience in my career, apart from, yes, you do need to pay people what they are worth because it shows that you value them, there are two other things that people really want when you distill it down, and that's career development. And that could be putting some sort of intentional thought and structure behind their career with you. It doesn't necessarily mean a promotion within one year of working with you. It's how do you expand, grow? That could be you, like you have already done in your business, committing time to coach and mentor and delegate. It could be investing a little bit of money into sending them on courses or to events things that really align with their interests, but also developing the skills that you need in your business as well. So that's the return there. The second thing is people want to work where they can be fulfilled. They want to enjoy their work. They want to enjoy who they work with, and they want to know that what they do matters. And so bringing your people along on the journey, filling them in on the story, making them a part of that decision-making process is what will help you build that sense of ownership. And so when you kind of have these basics, you need less of the shiny things. And like you said before, build your benefit structure around a few key hero benefits and then bolster it up with a few smaller things. You don't need all the things that the latest tech company are doing. You need to speak to who your ideal employee is, just like we tell people to speak to your ideal customer. I love that. That is such good advice. So, And it's so true. You know, like when I was working at L'Oreal, sure, I got all the free product in the world and I went to all the cool events but I was working 70 hours a week yeah. having yeah. beef jerky for dinner and taking my <laughs> laptop home. Like you're so right about the shiny objects mm. that what I really needed was to work less and be able to go to the gym and was would happily have not gone to as many events in order to have a bit more balance in my life. Absolutely for sure. No amount of free lunches and gym passes can make up for a really crap manager. That's right. And with a contractor, because I I do have contractors, it's important to ask yourself, like, what do they want? Yeah. And what I have found is, so I use an editor, Jodie Norman, and she edits all my articles Mm. before they get submitted to the publication. And because she's a contractor, she does this kind of work for other businesses. So the thing that Mm. is valuable to her is every time I get an article published that she helped edit, I mention her. Shout out to Jodie for editing my piece. And it's a little thing. It's a courteous thing, but it helps her get new business. Also Mm. saying, yes, I'm absolutely happy to leave you a review to go on your website to say that you do this kind of work for me. I'm not not embarrassed. I'm proud of the fact that you edit my articles. No one should be editing their own articles. <laughs> so um, it's really about asking yourself what they want and what you can give that doesn't have to cost anything. Absolutely. Thinking outside of the box, there are so many benefits that you can provide that are either no or low cost. And I know that because I've worked in companies where you think you would be given a big budget to do this kind of stuff, but no. <laughs> <laughs> You would be wrong. I've for years developed cultures on the budget of a shoestring. Shoestring budget. Is that the Mm -hmm. same? 
shoestring budget and they have yielded incredible results. Yeah. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Tell us, how do you support startups and SMEs now? Absolutely. So I have a career in corporate HR and through my time there, I really found a passion for supporting the small people. So my focus lies in small to medium-sized businesses and how they can achieve top quality, high-end employee experiences and HR support where they're at in their stage of their business now. And that looks like leadership mentoring and employee experience project work. So, so, so good. So as I mentioned, you are one of our grads and you were an A plus grad, (laughs) you know, all the homework done. Campaign is looking amazing. Can't wait until it launches in just a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. Next week, actually. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So uh, definitely encourage people to get in touch with you. Your business is Third Space People. What's the URL? URL for the website is thirdspacepeople.com and you can find me on Instagram at third underscore space and on LinkedIn at Harata underscore McMullen. Amazing. I will link all of that in the show notes <laughs> and feel free to just reach out to H. She's super, super nice, like one of the nicest people I've ever met. So, Oh, you are too kind. <laughs> Uh, Thank you so, so much for being so generous with your time and your knowledge. I loved our chat and I can't wait to see your campaign launch. Thank you so, so much, Mia. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not hit that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? Podcast reviews are like warm hugs and they're also the best way to support a small business. You can connect with me, Mia Feilman, on Instagram or LinkedIn. And feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly.